ASMR. <laughs> I don't know why I said it that way. I just imagining the music being it played. Makes it fancier. It makes it fancy, you know. Um, but yeah, welcome back. This is the second episode of our new limited series. I don't know. Just we're gonna do it as long as we want. Um, this one is about the cinema of. Stephen King, meaning books and adaptations that were made into movies by the wonderfully prolific Stephen King. And this episode is on The Mist. I am Abe Epperson, one of your co-hosts, and I'm going to shout out to my other co-host. Shout! Welcome back. Your nightmares were your ticket in to the podcast about Stephen King adaptations. I'm Michael Swaim. Happy to be here. All right. Surrounded in this mist. And for the record, we are, I believe there are more than one version of the mist. Are there not? There are, yes. So we're talking about the Frank Darabont most recent adapt film adaptation of the mist. Uh, a lot of people on our social media feeds told us to watch the black and white cut. I scrubbed through both, but it's literally just a black and white filter over it's, this it's film. Like, but it does add, I'll admit. It has, yeah. yeah, it adds to the... Um, Invasions of the body snatchers of it all. Sure. Like it makes a black and white makes it feel like it's from a bygone era where like paranoia was more relevant. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not all no one's relevant. paranoid now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's just like it's it harkens to that era where everything was like the Red Scare and communism. And, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I but believe yeah, there is an older version of The Mist. And there's also, I grew up on the audio tape of the short story, The Mist, which is big in audio tape cir- short story circles, if you oh, don't yeah. run in those esteemed oh, yeah. circles. Uh, yeah, The Mist has an excellent audio version as well. Uh, and as always with King of Kings, we're movie dudes. Well, we're book dudes too, but this ain't about that. So uh, we won't heavily get into if it's different than the story. Uh, we're going to take it as a film and dig in and see what we think mm. about The Mist. And our first segment is called Under the Dome. Our best guess puts the dome at 20,000 feet, sir. Did he just call it a dome? You think we might be stuck in here a while? And that's under basically under, off. That's basically, well, off the dome, under the dome. There's something there. Off the um, dome, yeah. Just, we're under, yeah. We're under the dome, so I'm going off the dome on this. There's dome. something there, but it's not good. It's I not hope good. It would have been a better, funnier thing, um, yeah. but it is there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, the lack of oxygen, uh, fresh oxygen from being suffocated in a dome, is getting to us, and <laughs> we're gonna blurt out an elevator synopsis of the mist, just so you can tag along if you haven't seen this one yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you took the last one, right? Yeah, because I gave you shit about how long it was. So yeah, you, you sh- did. Can I show you how it's done? Yeah, show me how it's fucking done. All right. The beginning of time. <laughs> Malevolent forces coalesce. What is? What do they want? What moves them? What makes them tick? Now, uh, we're in um, Maine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just almost guessing because it's a Stephen almost King always thing. In Maine, yeah. yeah. But it basically follows Tom Jane as our lead, family man, wife and kid. He paints movie posters, and uh, there's a big storm one night, and a tree crashes through his front window. He goes to the hardware store along with a contentious neighbor in order to repair it. However, at the same time, a strange mist enswaddles their town, and people start to scream and die. And uh, they slowly, uh, they barricade themselves inside the grocery store and face... Two threats. From without, the mist seems to be home to denizens from uh, somewhere, another dimension perhaps, heaven, the bowels of hell. We don't know. But horrible, weird mutants come out of the mist and kill people, so you don't want to go in the mist. But you don't want to stay in the grocery store, because the local town crazy lady is uh, preying on everyone's fear to create a cult within the grocery store and make them believe that if they sacrifice someone, the mist will stop. So uh, eventually they're forced out into the mist in spite of the safety of inside. Who's the real mist, you guys? Humans? I think we are. Who's the real mist? They drive for a while. He gets bored, shoots his son in the head, uh, shoots some other people. And then it turns out everything was fine. The end. We'll talk about the ending in more detail, I'm yeah. sure. <clears throat> you know, uh, 
Not bad. Not bad. Good job. Good job. He but doesn't I wouldn't get say that bored. that was longer or shorter than mine. It was glibber. <sighs> it was more glib. You, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, I guess. Um, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Just, I'm undo I miss, shit. Undo did, shit. Did I miss That's what I get. anything <laughs> that you want to add? You missed no, and I like the uh, great the pun on prey. It's very I don't, uh, I, I shit so much gold, I don't even remember what you're you talking about. You don't even about. remember, yeah. All right, so let's move on to our next segment. Hell yeah, skeleton crew. Something in the mist, shut the doors, shut the door. Which is the anomaly among the segment titles because that's a that's a collection of short stories of Stephen King's, but it kind of works, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's got a crew in it. They're skeletons. <laughs> yeah. the bones is their money. This is uh, <laughs> so. This is where we talk about anything we have to say about the making of the project, or the team uh, behind the project, or anything that might provide context for mm. the body of the episode, which is coming up mm. next. Don't tune that dial. Um, <laughs> uh, Abe. Yeah. You go first. Well, uh, let's just uh, talk about what kind of scope this movie is. It had mm-hmm. about an $18 million budget. Uh, again, this is 2007 money. Um, and it was an MGM and Dimension Films release. I think that's important because this, these are like the kings at this point of that mid-tier movie, which mm-hmm. you know in 2017 was like the $20 million movie. Uh, equivalent to what I would say is like the thirty million dollar movie or forty or even forty million dollar movie today, not gonna get gonna get full release, but not necessarily mm. gonna get a lot like the whole nine yards in terms of, uh, you know the the rollout the distribution, yeah. and so <clears throat> they're not taking a big risk on someone like Darabont, who is uh, director of this film. And also had done, at this point, Shawshank and Green Mile. So writer as well, correct? He's the writer as well. So he already was So the was adapter, in, really. Yeah. He's going to be a name that comes up a few times on this podcast because obviously he cut his teeth on the, you know, um, Stephen King Well, he's got anthology. the trifecta. And yeah. uh, when this came out, it was adequately reviewed. It's since, I think, mm-hmm. gotten more of a following among... Yeah, Definitely. Uh, Stephen King fans and horror fans in general yeah. who would say, I think it was underrated at the time and we'll get to mm. what we think. But right. at the time it was, people were like, it's good, but it's coming off of, this is the same Stephen King adapter who brought you Shawshank Redemption and then Green Mile. <clears throat> I think people thought it would be even better than it is when it came out. Yeah. It's also the first, uh, an interesting aspect about this is Darabont wanted this story to be his directorial debut. Like this, apparently to Frank Darabont, this is the most Darabont of his movies. Like he wanted to do the most with this story, Mm -hmm. which he definitely did. He does a lot. He changes and we might get into that later. He changes, doesn't change details as much as puts emphasis on the story. Uh, that in you know ways, makes it ways different than, from the book than King exactly. Did, yeah. uh, Stephen King said of this movie that he's generally frightened by the adaptation of his uh, little novella. There, uh, he Darabont, of course, was like loved this shit and talks about it in interviews all the time. Had he should have undermined that and had the blurb <clears throat> on the box been like a delightful romp, says Stephen mm-hmm. King. Mm-hmm. Another little, God, this is like taking me out of time just because this is like 2007. This is like when we started working with each other, right? 2007 is the year we founded Those Aren't Muskets. Yeah, so 2006, 2007. Um, This is just takes me, flashes me back to what was going on in TV at the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, Darabont also was, and by the way, this is the last film that Frank Darabont has directed. Did you know that? No. He's done all TV ever since, because after oh, okay. this, he did Walking Dead, and he's done all the Walking Dead sure. kind of stuff, running, you know, that's a that fit from afar. But I had no clue. I thought he had at least another one in there, and I was just like, I don't know where he's gone. But, like, yeah, guy made Shawshank Green Mile, Walking Dead. This is the last film. This um, is his bag, though. Or, I mean... Clearly. I didn't adapting see horror. Announced. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, yeah, to help t- save time on the, like, tight schedule that they had... Um, 
they Frank Darabont decided he had worked on the shield for mm-hmm. uh, like an episode or two. And he noticed how fast the camera crew from the shield was, which uh, that was something that I was taught a lot about in my TV classes is that that was like what was coming up was obviously things like the office and multiple camera setups that like have the illusion of single camera setup, you know, uh, workplace comedies. I'm looking Mm -hmm. at you, but also in the era of 24 and the shield, everything was handheld pan and scan kind of like uh, the way you kind of approach a scene is get a bunch of camera operators in there, tell them where the line is, tell them where, you know, these are the rules of this scene and you want to get these characters and just let them go to town, whip over and get coverage of that character too, from a slightly different angle zoom. And so it's this live breathing thing. Uh, Frank Darabont hired the camera crew from The Shield to shoot this movie. Right. They did it on a six-week break in between seasons Mm -hmm. of The Shield. Yeah. And uh, it's easy and efficient way of shooting. That's why we did Agents of Cracked that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's very efficient, especially if you only have one person and like, you know, like four hours to shoot a sketch or something like that. Yeah. Um, And uh, or like back when... Uh, El Mariachi came out on DVD. It had Robert Rodriguez 10 minute film school. And that's a similar, there's similar strategies at play, but it's fun to watch him get multiple shots that would normally be multiple setups with different lenses, like a master, Mm. a medium and a close while someone's doing a single monologue in a single take, he's literally pump zooming and then running up to them and refocusing. And he's like, by doing it a couple times, I can cover all the time. There's always a clean shot of some time when they were talking and I'll figure it out in post. (laughs) Right. Which is a very different approach for Darabont than something like Shawshank, which I find is his best movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Well, it's nice Um, work if you can get it meaning a fully funded film where you sit down and go, what's my vision for this shot? You know? Right, right. Um, yeah. Sometimes you have to be creative to do yeah. these mid and low tier projects. And I thought it would be more that because like, so Shawshank, the whole idea was that they just had this prison to essentially run the place, right? In this movie, they have even more control because like 90% of the movie is shot on a s- soundstage, you know? Right. Um, and... So because of that, you'd imagine they have all of the control. They're like, we can put a cameras in the ceilings and just leave them there. Like we can do anything. But he chose to do a very specific thing, which is, I think, specific to this era. This like, you know, we'll probably go into it a little later. This kind of post 9-11 kind of way in which we perceive the rule, which was a world which was kind of frantic and the cameras were very jolty and uh, impressionable by what happened. I, there's a, there's actually a book written about how camera movements, um, are altered was, were kind of altered by the, Mm. uh, like the way we went, there's an argument to be had that like the camera actions and the active camera, uh, was kind of an allusion to like what was going on at the time. I don't know if I necessarily subscribe to that, but it's definitely true that it was a trend. And he definitely went along with it. And I think the reason why is because that he wanted you to feel grounded and one of the people who were being convinced. He wanted us to right. be convinced by Miss Carmody and, you know, the religious zealotism that's happening there. He wanted us to feel the the aspects of the uh, monsters when they would attack Norm or whatever. Um, so there, that's, I think, the team as much as I'd like to speak about. You got anything? Uh, just that this was the period, I believe that Tom Jane was dating Lindsay Funke. So that may have destabilized his behavior on set. God damn Tom Jane. (laughs) Um, I'm Tom Jane. Who is that? (laughs) I'm Tom Jane. Um, and also that there's a lot of good references to, uh, Drew Struzan, who's a legendary film poster artist. Oh yeah, at the beginning especially. From back in the day, like though when, you know, E.T. and Jurassic Park and shit had like hand painted posters. So... Uh, Tom Jane plays a guy painting film posters and those are the only notable Easter eggs in the movie really, but there are the poster for the thing is in the background and the poster for Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Uh, which both were actually paintings by Struzan. So I'm sure they just hooked up with him and Struzan painted the poster for the mist. So they just said, can we print out some of your old ones? Old stuff. But it becomes an Easter egg just by virtue of that fact, which is fun. Isn't the most prominent one the Dark Tower 
That's the one. Yeah, on Yeah, he's literally working on one for the Dark Tower. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I and believe that's... that was going to be a book cover because at the time that that wasn't mm-hmm. like slated to be a movie. Yeah. 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 Which takes us to it. Boo! If you'll come with me, you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float it. Too. Scene work, themes, and symbology. Yeah, where uh-huh. all uh-huh. of our ideas float down here um <laughs> how do you want to run this i have questions it's hard to know answers. where to find your first handle in the mist what do you <clears> grab <throat> onto that's not a big tentacle how about this one i got one uh, what yeah do you well think- i got a bunch i just don't know where to start let's start at the beginning what do you think the tree at the beginning means do you think it means anything at all i think the tree is an excuse for him to have a contentious relationship with his neighbor Norton, I th- Andre Brower, pre uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, and I also think, well, I wanted to, so I wanted to bring up as I want to do a Harlan Ellison short story because mm-hmm. I love uh, comics are one of my favorite mediums because they so often are able to do things that could only be done with comics because it's uh, it involves turning pages and geography and you can add mm-hmm. diagrams that people could cut out and fold. A movie can't do that. And there's very few things a movie can't do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm intrigued by media like that. And uh, Harlan Ellison in this story, The Paladin of the Lost Hour, does something that I just think is phenomenal because it, it literally couldn't be done in a film without going to great effort and being ham-fisted. Uh, he tells a whole story about people coming into each other's lives and having contentious political dialogue and getting into sticky situations and acting on moral, you know, having moral differences. And then about two thirds of the way through the story, he also says, and one of these people was black and one of them was white. And it doesn't matter which is which. And you get both interpretations simultaneously because it's about civil rights issues, you know, in the seventies. And I just love how that couldn't easily be done in a film. You would have to pick who was black and who was white. And I bring this all up to assuage my white guilt about saying that I think it's intentional that Andre Brower is black. I do think it's a case where they made skin color matter. I don't know how I feel about skin color, even in storytelling, being used as a shorthand code, although it is a reflection of reality, which is that people are still racist to some degree, even, Mm -hmm. you know, inside or whatever, Uh, even quote unquote, not racist people. So skin color is a force in the universe. And I don't want to go off all down into these weeds about what should art right. represent versus reflect? <clears throat> However, caveats aside, I think it's, uh, you know, they're black and white and they're neighbors who fight and they're contentious. And I think the question on the table throughout the mist is, which comes kind of, I think, ham-fisted because the, uh, the lady that he has the pseudo- platonic wifely relationship with in the grocery store, the blonde lady, mm-hmm. uh, even says explicitly... Like, I think people are basically good. And then as shit yeah. goes down, she's like, I guess I was wrong. That's so upsetting to find out people are mm. basically bad. So the question on the table is like, under are normal stressful circumstances, yeah. right? These guys are enemies. His wife has to warn him, like, don't sock him in the jar or whatever. Uh, and they have every reason to feel like the other to each other and not see eye to eye. Can the mist being this existential threat make people see eye to eye? What effect does it have on the human mind and on human communities? Or will everyone just give in to fear and hate each other and join any cult that wanders by? Even though yesterday they knew that lady was crazy. So it's unfortunately, and I think that's a reason a lot of critics just don't like it when movies points are negative, but it's a valid point of view that I can't disprove that humans, you know, there's a lot of argument to be made for and it's worth exploring. No, I think humans are basically bad and stupid. And it's an exercise in being like, here's your opportunity. You could all cohese. And instead we see on multiple levels, like the military guys hide dangerous information from everyone else. Then Mm -hmm. when the shit hits the fan and they're supposed to like man up and help, like you could help fix the problem. They just hang themselves. Like, mm-hmm. fuck it, check out. I'm not going to help. I'm just too overwrought with guilt. So people are like weak in the face of trauma, uh, turn on each other. Andre Brower and Tom Jane see eye to eye in the middle because I think they're the relationship where we're supposed to see hope. Like, oh, the contentious neighbors don't care about the tree anymore. 
But then at the act three turn comes and Andre Brower's like, I disagree with you. You're crazy. And he, and I think you are being contentious because of my race. And he's like, no, no, I just think we're all going to die. And he's like, fuck you. And it fall. And the relationship falls apart. They end the movie as a strange and Andre Brower presumably cocooned or something dead somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I think Frank Darabont and especially given the ending, uh, which I don't want to unpack simultaneously, but we'll unpack soon, I'm sure. It's kind of a downer movie. I mean, it is a downer movie, but I think even more than the casual viewer may have thought, it's an intentional statement that humans are incapable of doing a good job and we're fucked, basically. Like, more, we're always yeah, going to have more pain as long as we're alive, to <clears throat> paraphrase Al Swearingen, because we do a bad job and we're broken and right. shitty. Uh, you know, look at our current slate of elect potential presidents, I think a lot of people feel like, damn, we just can't get like the cream of the crop to rise here. Even if you like Biden, I think you could imagine a theoretically better president. It's like, this is the president we get, we get like, we just can't get like the best people in there for some reason. Uh, and it's cause as a, on an individual basis, most humans are lovely, but as a group, they suck. Yeah, like it's um, <laughs> David slash Tom Jane says at one point, basically uh, the chestnut that you're talking about, as long as the machines are working and you can dial 911, you take those things away and you throw people in the dark, you scare the shit out of them, no more rules. You'll see how primitive they get. Um, yeah, All I you need is a poison mist. Yeah, all you need is a poison mist with tentacle monsters. Uh, well, or, and there's you know, some... or someone's black and someone's white. It's kind of one or the well, other. Well, that's I'll why they it. place that there and have him bring yeah. up race by the end is because they're like, that is uh, still to this day, you know, obviously. Yeah. An excuse you turn to just because you want to blame someone next to you. Yeah, instead. and I, yeah. I would go as far as to say that... Uh, the black versus white thing isn't even a take. Like it's Darabont okay. clearly does it because that's what first I meant. Thing, is I might be overcorrecting or overcapping. Yeah, like know. he clearly does it, and the it, the proof is in. Look at the whiteness of the group, right? right? Which is very white, and then also, especially when he makes a stand and he says, "You know what? You all treat." Uh, us like this and I know why this is I, I see what is going on here uh, behind uh, behind him is like the only three black people in right like oh in, I didn't even in the movie that, yeah, yeah they, his background and, he's, and they're like has background uh, black ex- extras versus and they're like, everyone no, else is just white no it's because you sue everyone all the time and he's like yeah, but I'm allowed to town, sue people yeah. it's not illegal it's got to be racism mm-hmm. and it's Probably both. And it's also, there's a flip at one point. He says like you and your fuck, you and your hick friends. Yeah. And he's like, and the guy takes an absolutely ridiculous response to the word hick. He says like, right. who you calling hick? You know, like as if that's like crazy epithet. Well, there's the trucker who represents hicks quote unquote. And I don't mean right. that in a derogatory sense. Although the movie does treat him like a dumb hick. I think I would argue if I were like, uh, you know, like a trekker from uh, the Midwest who led a simple life, I would be kind of insulted by the, I think he is boiled down to be know, like man. the basket of deplorables. He's pretty shitty. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I, I haven't seen enough of the world, but like uh, most hicks I know don't do like, don't care about the word hick. They're like, yeah, I'm a hick. You know, no, like, not the word. I'm saying the depiction. I know People who proudly call themselves Hicks, but who are also intelligent and sophisticated, they just mean they come from a rural rural area. They have a simple job and they like rural lifestyle. Um, I just think it's a stereotypical depiction of a Hick. But they do the thing where everyone in the grocery store who becomes the main character represents a sector of society, right? Mm -hmm. There's the guy who is the military. There's the Tom Jane who's like, uh, family man, like, you know, our good old American, like you just want to save your kid is the overriding thing. Mm -hmm. There's the crazy antagonist. And there's the guy who this guy, Jack, I think his name is, I might, I might be wrong, but the trucker hat guy who represents like 
the gullible, dumb mob that will believe anything because he switches sides constantly. He's like, this mist isn't dangerous. Then he sees a tentacle come and kill the kid. And he goes, I'm so sorry. I'm totally on your side forever, obviously. Mm. Like, I could never repay that kid's death. We got to fight this mist. What do you think we should do rationally? Mm. And then a couple days pass and he's like, I'm in the cult. Kill that kid. (laughs) So he he clearly is the mob mentality made Um, flesh. And this is a quote from Darabont. How primitive do people get? It's Lord of Flies that happens to have some cool monsters in it. Um, and They're pretty yeah. cool. Uh, it gave me like a Shadow of the Colossus vibe, the ones you see at the end. Uh, the I think Cloverfield I owes a lot Lovecraft. to the I, yeah. I thought immediately Lovecraft with those long legs and almost felt like something out of a Salvador Dali uh, painting. Well, they all, all Cloverfield, yeah. I mean, all these... Any monster that is bulbous flesh mass with tentacles, but it's a god with incomprehensible power, owes a lot to that racist motherfucker, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, it's so true. He Uh, invented a new monster type that is very mimetic, so mm -hmm. if nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) And himself, a monster. Uh, Yeah. In many ways, yes. In many ways. I think, um, yeah, I'm glad you kind of gave, like, um, you kind of, put it in a like if that's that in a nutshell but uh it's a little surfacey for me like there's yeah. the line hey why do you think we invented politics and religion <laughs> yeah and i'm like okay bumper of, sticker <laughs> yeah it's kind of on the nose for a lot of it uh and there's a few more things that are pretty on the nose for this movie but um that's definitely i still think i know what your answer to what's the tree at the beginning mean <laughs> uh it's a mundane w- it's a mundane uh in in the grand scheme of things, inconsequential thing that would cause stress and strife to set up the contrast with, no, the mist is a real problem. Puts See, those other problems in perspective, that's, doesn't it? I'm glad you mentioned that. My take was, uh, I feel like there's something, like I feel like Darabont or maybe King, I don't know who actually placed that little th- aspect of it at the beginning, but I thought it was more about the fragility of safe spaces. It's the idea that everything we're doing is through glass and glass Very solid is tr- take. And there's two things about glass, uh, always true, but true in this movie. One easily broken Two, see through. And, um, so we're watching these people a lot of times from the outside as from the perspective of the mist. When Darabont does that, I think that that's intentional because we're kind of looking at the people like we are taking the role of the person who's a patron of a zoo and we're watching humanity fuck itself up or we're watching the monsters threaten. And like if we're inside and we're looking out, it's almost always the worry is immediately like this thin veneer can be breakable at any time. And to me, setting up the movie with a tree just crashing through glass and shattering all all over everything and ruining all their houses and boats and cars and bullshit uh, is just another way of saying like force of nature doesn't give a fuck about your glass houses. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah. And of course, I think we barely need to state for everyone to know everything we would say about how appropriate the film is right now. Uh, it's about quarantining because if you go outside, you're going to breathe something that will kill you. And, uh, it doesn't literally film the mist is not poison, but you know, it is death as Carmody says. And, uh, even people are safe. Yeah. You got to stay away from people stay and how fragile the fabric of society can be if something really shit goes down. In this corn tizzle, it is faux shizzle. It is resinizzle. Um, yeah. I also wanted to point out that I think that ties into why he paints, because it barely factors in what his job is. You could have done the movie without us knowing what no. his job is. It doesn't matter. So I have to believe Darabont chose to make him a guy who does movie posters for a reason. So I tried to pick a reason. And what occurs to me is he's scared of being supplanted by Photoshop because his painting gets wrecked by the tree. And he's like, they can Photoshop one in a weekend. So, uh, I think that's just sort of an echo of, or this is my question. Is there a better take than, or a more defensible take than that's the mist. The mist is more efficient, but has no humanity. And that's why it's destined to supplant us. Mm. It uh, feels like a stretch, not a far stretch, but a stretch. Is there a better a, reason that that's why take the time to have him say 
I make movie posters, but I'm worried about my job security because of Photoshop. Doesn't that have to mean something? <laughs> yeah, uh, the only thing I can t- think about is the fact that almost all the horrors that take place or that like they're they're especially Stephen King. It's all about he plays with xenophobia and paranoia a lot because almost all of his monsters are ascribing to the like it's not like E.T. They're horrifying because they're so unlike us. Mm-hmm. So that xenophobic quality of something like a, you know, if you're going to make the analogy of the, you know, Photoshop versus the old way of doing it, um, how how distant and alien modernism looks to traditionalism, um, you know, that is the only thing that I can think of as why that, that w- those would be like terms. Um, but I do like the take just because he's out of time or he's running out of time one could say yeah. and that is a scary place to be and that makes fear increase and fear is currency here yeah um and that you know obviously taken advantage of by hey uh, mrs Carmar- carmody is tom jane american tom jane i don't is he yes his voice sounds I've never like heard him. a british actor doing an american accent and it would be hilarious to me yeah, if that's he's american. his real voice no he's an american actor that's just his voice is like like i'm trying to be american it's just odd i just think he has an odd voice he's good though mm-hmm. he's fine mm-hmm. he's good yeah i think he's done some really good shit yeah he has definitely uh, uh, I didn't really uh, like 1912 or whatever, if we ever get to that one. 1922. 1922. Mm-hmm. And now we have 1917. I thought he is even better as a character actor. Do you remember? Uh, not a good film, uh, or not the greatest film, but the Shane Black written, directed uh, Predator, The Predator 2018. Oh, I haven't seen that. Where he, but okay, he, he plays that? like a guy with Tourette's and it's just, he's a good character actor, nice. I think. Yeah, um, he's good. But, you know, AD. put him in Deep Blue Sea or The Punisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying it's like I didn't. Those yeah. those were maybe those weren't the best vehicles for him. But it, it's it's yeah, he does have a look like a leading man uh, and leading men are boring. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Uh, things I, I loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many video games it reminded me of? Because I'm hungry for Last of Us Part Two, and I think it has some Ooh, fi- some of that yeah. vibe. And I'm also playing the shit out of Half Life Alex. With, and mm-hmm. as you know, Half Life centers around op- accidentally opening a door to yep, another yep, dimension, yep. and aliens pour through. And I will say something: I think the movie get, should get a lot of credit for is something more horror movies should do, which is how elegantly, as opposed to some of the dialogue which I found on the nose. How elegantly the solution to the mystery box is delivered. You can, if you're savvy, you within 15 minutes know what it's going to be and that it's not important what it was. And so you basically just get his wife going, the mist, there's never mist there. And then some military trucks rolling by and then a military guy being like, Project Arrowhead something something. And then military guys hanging themselves. (laughs) And then if you're too dense, finally someone going... It's missed from the military base. They think they open another dimension. They said something like this, yeah. know, but that's people talk and that's all you need. And that's all you need. Well done. It's, yeah. Darabont understood that aspect. Stephen King ran with it originally and made it made the part like he put the tools at, on the table for everyone mm-hmm. to say this is how you kind of do it. And Darabont understands that. Uh, the miss the the limited series. Uh, fuck, I don't know if that was on FX or whatever. Fairly, it was done as a TV show. Not too does long not ago. understand that. Did not understand. Oh, that it like dives into what is the miss? Let's mm-hmm. analyze mm-hmm. it, and you're like, you missed well, the it, point. <laughs> yeah, uh, and spoilers. What are I the mean, rules please, of the mist? I really, really want to talk to someone at some point about like I want to understand why people think like the leftovers is good. Like I just can't understand. Is that Darabont? Don't. No, that's okay. Lindioff. But it's the idea of that mystery box proceeding in the way that you in the the way that you and I are talking about it right now. Right. It's the bad way to go. And it's the way that it's what I hate about it. I really don't like Abrams. I'm sorry to people who have had. It's great that he makes movies. A lot of people have a fun time with. I'd never take that away from people, even if I could. But damn, like we Jen hadn't seen Super 8 and she picked it last night. And I was like, 
I remember it being good enough. Sure, we can watch that. And the mystery box just being relentlessly milked is so mm-hmm. annoying to me now. It like, is so obnoxious. What is it? What is it going to be? What is it? And you're like, I'm sure it's an alien. And then by the end, he's like, it's an alien. You see it once. We're out. And I'm like, right. that wasn't the big deal that you thought it was. It, no, it was a letdown. And it's, well, because of uh, uh, the fucking the most recent Jedi one. Yeah, uh, it's kind of in vogue to not care about J.J. Abrams. I think that that's fairly sure. in the zeitgeist now. I still think like Lindy Off and a few of the like the people who who else was a part of Lost. There you was like s- a whole, all the the Watchmen as well. Yeah, that's still getting. Uh, that's a ton well liked. of people like celebrating it and yeah. I'm like fuck that fucking show you pronounce like, his name like it rhymes with Lindy Hop which I appreciate Lindy Hop but I think it's Lindy I think up. it's Lindelof Lindelof okay Lindelof I kind of like the Lindelof anyway Carmody tries Did to get them to sacrifice him. Billy so Ollie shoots yeah. her in the face we haven't mentioned fucking Ollie love Ollie love dude. Ollie man Lo- Ollie's the he gets done you know Ollie's the shit and then the other thing I wanted to bring up that I think the movie does very very uh, well and it reminded me more than anything else of Uncut Gems because I just watched that not too long ago and they mm. both impressed me in the same way they both invented or not invented I don't know the totality of film they both deployed mm-hmm. uh, new techniques that I haven't experienced very often at all, enough that they're still very fresh feeling, to make me mm-hmm. feel really tense. I thought The Mist uh, successfully made me feel really tense. It's genuinely scary, and it did it to a just a degree. It's something your your teacher JP said about you. It's like you swing a big bat. Like it is impactful. The impactful parts are impactful. I thought. Yeah. And but it, remember, he also said that. But you don't know where it's. But you you're don't swinging. know where you're swinging. Well, I did, well, wasn't gonna do that, but you said it. Um, I'll, I'll be. I'll that was be early in your career. I don't care what J, JP doesn't have the keys to success. Hey, JP, was a JP guy Garin, very well respected filmmaker, said of yeah. Abe Epperson's yeah. filmmaking. You swing a big bat, but you don't know what you're doing with it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, baby, baby. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. The Criterion Collection owning yep. uh, fucking piece of shit, JP. I love that guy. <laughs> tell, tell you about when I was hanging out with Hendrix and he said, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Dude, I think I told a story. He said that J- Jimi Hendrix, uh, like, died in his house. Like, he wasn't living it, but it was technically... He owned the a, apartment. A, Hendrix com- A community of people owned a French apartment together. It's funny to brag about. You're like... And he bragged about that. And I was like, no, he didn't. Uh, he's, I have a timeshare on the place that Jim Morrison died. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, need you to know like, that. You're just making this shit up, man. And he laughed at me. And he's like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, that's... I wonder if that's... that's- <laughs> verifiable but yeah dude he's he's like i love people like that that are just so like wily and Mm snake-like because they're like they're like maybe i did it or i didn't maybe i did you know it's just like i don't know what you're trying to do right now but i love yeah anyway anyway uh, they do it in different ways uncut gems does it by layering more tasks at once than you usually see layered in a scene which i that's a cool technique like there's nine little arcs you're worried about and they're all paying off simultaneously there's too many plot beats advancing and it makes you feel uncomfortable uh the mist does it by having no matter what they do and and they're good at seeming like reasonable reactions to try it, mm-hmm. it has an unintended negative consequence. Like when they use mm-hmm. the torches, you like, you want to see in a horror movie, the people being resourceful that usually works. So when he goes, we could combine the mops, dip them in the alcohol in a mop bucket, light them as torches and the bats seem right. attracted to light. And then we could drive them out of the store. And you're like, finally, this will get us to the next segment. They beat the puzzle level of how do you get the bats out of the store when they break through the glass? But that sets part of the store on fire and a guy gets horribly burned. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it's, I just think it does that really well. And it's, it's also, did you laugh? Did you hmm. laugh? I laughed during that part, especially the part where, uh, one of the, um, one of the people in the group walks in frame and says, where are the extinguishers? Yeah. That's Ollie. I think. Yeah. No, no, no. It's the guy who runs in at the beginning who has a great delivery on. Yes. John Lee's gone. The mist. Something Something came out of the mist and took John Lee. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolute mayhem, though. It's just like, it's just, 
Everyone's things are burning in that shot. There are bugs attacking people in the foreground, in the background, and he and runs in from the side and he screams that line. It's fucking. And hilarious. there's an obnoxious lady continuously screaming like, "We deserve this. This yeah. is good that this is happening." <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to take in, and uh, I also find, and I think this is the thing that a lot of critics in 2007 took issue with. And again, I think it's people just are uncomfortable looking into the abyss because uh, the universe is a very harsh, unforgiving reality mechanically. Um, yeah. I think a lot of critics felt it was like a misstep or weirdly cruel to have things like there's one scene where there's a budding romance between the military guy and this chick and then Check this cashier girl. lady's like, yeah, and I'm going to babysit for Tom Jane. And you're like, she seems like a middling important She's character. She's waiting to have sex. She's all the archetypes. Oh, yeah. And then they're and like, Stephen should we Jane. kiss? And she's like, yes, but Amazing. after this is over, I don't want our first time yeah. to be like this. And you're like, okay, I'm investing in this character. Gets stung by one of these wasps and her throat just swells up and she just dies horribly like mm, mm. 40 minutes in. And like, yeah, uh, it takes her like 90 seconds to die. It's yeah. Like, it's- and I read reviews from the time are like, I don't just, I just don't get the point. Like why build someone up and then just have them plucked away and they suffer mm-hmm. like, and I'm like, have you not had a loved one die of yeah. cancer at age 45? Yeah. It happens. The universe yeah. can sometimes pluck someone away in a horrible like, way. I think yeah, he was just, just like, buddy. I think he's just buddy. There's a movie coming out. That's called no country for old. Men. <laughs> You're going to hate it. <laughs> You're going to hate it. Yeah. I think Darabont was just early. Cause now we're fine with this. People are in a yes. phase of being very open to downer endings and very uplifting endings. It's whatever. If it works, it works. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But, I uh, think so. I think Darabont was ahead of his time as far as like the movie is pretty nihilistic. And in 2007, people were like, I don't get what this guy's problem is. So he seems depressed. You know, it seems gratuitous is the word a lot of reviewers use. And I don't know that it is. I think he said he did what he set out to do. I think that's indicative of the time. I think that uh, which is something I wanted to go into more is that there uh, I found the book that I was uh, referencing earlier. Uh, It's called American Cinema in the Shadow of Mm 9-11. And um, very much so. Frank Darabont has said it multiple times in an interview that uh another quote from him the mist has become a rather potent metaphor for what i think humanity is poised at the moment this is 2006 or whatever 2005 Mm -hmm. uh it becomes a total microcosm of our culture and what we're going through the divisiveness uh the fact that reasonable people are getting around uh are getting ground up in the machinery and agendas of unreasonable people who are in power the extremists are holding sway and the rest of us are getting dragged along for the ride so that's something very indicative of that, you know, the aughts. And it's also something that he, like we cited already just on this podcast, it's super on the nose. He's almost beating us with the bat at this point with it. Like where he's just like, Bush did, Bush is the problem kind of thing. This is an anti-Bush movie, right? I mean, that's like, isn't it very mm. much so like the character of Miss Carmody? Not that that's like supposed to be Bush or anything like that. I took it but as anti-religious magical thinking more than politically aligned, but I'm watching which, it out of time. Like I wasn't thinking about yeah. it's 2007. Take yourself back. But the, wasn't it? The Miss wasn't it is number one on the radio. The Miss. Uh, the, wasn't it more emphasized in the Darabont script though? Because like. Yeah, at the time you had like Reverend uh, Rawwell or whatever. Uh, Falwell, Jerry Falwell, yeah. Falwell, yeah. Like, uh, and it's just a popfina is like all around the United States, blaming 9 11 on like pagans, ab- yeah. like uh, abortionists and gays and stuff like that. I see. Uh, and like in the penultimate arc of the of like her arc, where she's like becomes a cult leader essentially, the soldier pleads he's like it wasn't even me it was the scientists who did that I, i'm just a guy i just like who stand guard there. at the front door and she's like oh just work there and even though that's a very logical okay so you're just like your guy at the door you're not the one like causing the science to happen if that's what you're saying she just plows through that so at that point she's gone through logic and empathy the only well, yes, goal. she tops that. She says, "Now let's kill the kid." The logic yeah, just being, it would final, be a greater yeah. sacrifice. It's totally illogical. Yeah. The only truth that matters is that she needs to make a sacrifice, and which is why Ollie needs to come out and you know 
get her got because uh like dan even says at one point uh if you scare people bad enough you can get them to do anything they'll turn mm. to whoever promises a solution and as you were talking about the how salient this movie still is it's it's laughable that we're making we're this story has been told so many times about like how people can't get their shit others. together and we never do. So there is and a lot to the do. argument that maybe we never will. It doesn't seem and like so, we can. So for every time that I see Dar- people frustrated by Darabont's yeah. uh, on the nose kind of stuff here, I'm like, you know what? Maybe he's still like, learning, people haven't figured it out yet. So I'm going to tell <laughs> him. You're dumb. Stop doing like, this. Why the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Why the fuck though? And you're like, I'm tired of you saying why the fuck though. Yeah, but why but the fuck? But though? then stop doing the fuckery. Then yeah, <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Um, and I yeah. do like that because, of course, the classic facile straw man argument for people trying to improve the world is, but you're not perfect. You've done something bad in your life, right. so let's not make the world better. And or. You want me to be tolerant as in not racist or transphobic? Where's your tolerance of my ability to hate other people? Or mm-hmm. where's my free speech ability to say stuff and you can't free speech back at me and tell me I'm dumb? Where's my extra special free speech in this country? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Ollie viscerally demonstrates the old axiom that the only thing, if you pr- if you believe tolerance is helpful to humanity, the only paradox you have to embrace is you can't tolerate intolerance if it starts to extend beyond the bounds of you can think whatever you want in your head but if you're going to harm members of the community based on your intolerance our tolerant community doesn't tolerate that that's the one rule that's the only one um and uh i and so ollie you know shoots her in the face and uh and the old lady throws a can of peas at her head (laughs) yeah 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 uh i think there's this is like a I mean, this is an issue that's forever and it's not going to be solved in a podcast, but it's just something that as we're all been thinking about it recently, it's I vow crazy. to not hang up until humanity has its shit together. Until, we're right, doing good, it, baby. Good, we're we're taking it, this baby. all the way. All right, let's ride it home. Baby. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, I really think that uh, this movie has something where it really unlocks the aspect of cowardice that comes out of what you're talking about. Like uh, what you're, t- wait, well, let me be specific. Like you, we're talking about this aspect where when someone tells you you're not doing enough or you're, you, someone has an argument like, well, you fly a jet and you're, uh, that means that you're actually ruining global warming more than everyone and stuff like that. Uh, people like to take the wind out of sails of people who are making a statement that is inherently good, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's because I think within ourselves it reveals a cowardice about what we're willing to do for each other that so is so well done at the beginning of this move movie with uh, that the first scene we get as soon as we get in the in the um, uh, grocery store is will someone see a lady home scene uh, it's mm-hmm. the first scene that happens it prepares you for the dread of the choices like you're basically going to witness for us the movie and I think from a screenwriter's point of view it's very very smart because it's obviously there are arcs that are have more stakes in the movie or are more terrifying, but it's a simple elucidation of the most prominent themes in the movie. It's like when it comes down to it, it's about the fear of the unknown. I mean, it is definitely yeah, uh, it's just, about how primitive will you get, but it comes from that thought about what would you do? How much of your interest would you stake for the empathy of your fellow man? Is the enemy inside or outside? All this stuff kind of spurns from that. And I love that it's uh, in this movie. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's in the book or not, but in this movie, the role has no name. She's just named woman. Like she's just a mother who has children at home. Yeah. So it's exactly, it's just a thought experiment. They, he made it as iconic and boiled down as he could, which is cool. The very first decision the community has to make given the mist is Mm -hmm. woman with child, therefore has to go into danger. Anyone help? And they're like, no. Even Tom Jane's like, Sorry. I have my own kid lady. And he has, you a, know? he has a valid excuse he knows he can lean on, and he yeah. leans on it immediately. Uh, I, yeah. I have a kid here, so I, you know, hands are tied not say- by morality. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why it's so tricky, because we're not, no one can No one's say saying he shouldn't do that. Or he shouldn't yeah, do that. Yeah, right. 
You know, it's like you, uh, but it, it's very hearkening to the idea of like when you're going, you're coming out of like a grocery store or something and someone's like, do you have a dollar or something like that? And maybe you pay a dollar, you know, however many times out of 10, but the times that you don't, you're like, ah, oh, man, I only got a credit card or something like that. And it makes you feel shame, right? Because it makes you feel like you're not doing and enough. And the times you don't, I at least always compulsively think of the last time I did as an excuse. Like, oh, exactly. well, I gave a guy a five earlier. that yeah. time, uh, like I think four days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still a good person. And <laughs> being able to navigate this situation without essentially taking that guilt and like calling yourself a piece of shit or feeling like a hypocrite for not calling yourself a piece of shit is such an unpalatable like kind of concept for humanity, mm -hmm. each human to go through, that it's why people need someone like, you know, oh, well, they're right all the time because they said a bunch of people are going to die. And last night, a bunch of people died. So she's got the keys to the kingdom. I can stop then, trying to figure out what's right or wrong and just yeah, subscribe I can to just follow her. her. Yeah. Yeah, and then it also gives me when when all the shit like goes tits up, it's like, oh yeah, I was just following her. Like imagine, uh, I imagine after this movie's done, because basically like everyone's saved except for you know we'll talk about the ending at the end. Uh, all the sheep of Miss Carmody's flock after the dust settles, do they just have like a moment? Because they all live in a small town together, right? Where they go like that was crazy, right? We're totally in a cult for like oh, eighteen hours. So like majority of people in the grocery store who live will yeah. have to be like. So are you still a crazy born again Christian who thinks we need to sacrifice the blood of oh, a child? No, 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 no. I think science exists. It was a dimensional rift. The military's here now. I'm normal again. We're normal yeah. now. <laughs> We're normal now. And they'll, they'll think of some excuse. Yeah. They'll be like, yeah, it was probably, I was being affected. I think that just... mist actually had like a psychotropic, oh, hypno yeah. mist. Yes, of course, hypno that. mist. Yeah. It I was the mist. That. Yeah. Yeah. The mist. Uh, <laughs> so, so, like, I think that that is something. And as we, like, as I think most like film teachers and people like, like stories say, uh, we love things that ask questions and have, don't have answers. That's one of the best parts of this movie is the fact that it presents so effectively and efficiently the, the ways in which we think of ourselves as a piece of shit for not doing enough. Uh, you know, and I think that there's something about that. I think there's something powerful about having that conversation too. You know, it's not just about like, look at this piece of shit coming out here with her like uh, religious idolatry and, you know, sacrificial lambs and shit. Fuck her. That's absolutely true. <laughs> Fuck her. Ollie should shoot her. But at the same time, we have to think about like, where are we on? Like, is even if we're not like one of her flock, we're also Tom Jane holding their child saying like, I have a kid of my own to worry about. So I just think that's fascinating. I think it's a good job. And I think that's King. Honestly, I think Darabont did a good job of making it translating, uh, translating it. But I think that's King, right? I don't know. I didn't reread the short story in preparation for this. Although you'd think I'd have it memorized because I swear I listened to that audio tape on every camping trip as a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, that was our scary stories. We'd sit around the fire and listen to a Stephen King audio <laughs> tape. Well, My you didn't dad do was lazy. Piece of shit. Yeah. The other one on there was Taylor Poe. That's not a Stephen King, but shout out to anyone who knows that. <laughs> Taylor Poe. Scary story to tell Life. around campfire. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, speaking of shit going tits up, he uh, eventually goes back home, finds out that because the window was broken, his wife never stood a chance and probably died almost immediately. Uh, we don't even see her. I don't think he just like is like, yeah, she's. You dead. see, like you see, it's like a clearly a female form covered in you like know, spider webs and yeah, exactly. blood and shit. Like, and you're it like, can well, only be her. Yeah, it's so coming out of the house. Yeah, they drive until the jeep they're in runs out of gas. Uh, he's with the few survivors that would go with him, plus his son. They only have enough bullets. Uh, the thing runs out of gas and everyone who's been killed by the mist has suffered horribly. So they silently, which is a nice touch in silence with only looks and nods and shit yeah. decide they're going to kill themselves and they don't want to wake the kid up because of course they want it to be painless and quick. So he's going to shoot the kid first. Someone Beautiful has, score, by the someone way. has to stay alive because there aren't enough bullets. 
yeah, this ending is impactful as fuck. It's like mm-hmm. a re- it's a gut punch in the extreme extremist sense. He shoots his son in the head, but the kid wakes up at the last second, so he sees his son look at his dad and like yeah, look ah, as if like, why it. would you point a gun at me? And he shoots his own son in the fucking face, and then he quickly shoots everyone else in the car, and then he's out of bullets, and he gets to do something I bet any actor would love to do. Which oh, is right. like try and replicate the most extreme acute trauma moment. Just go crazy. Like have a meal, dude. Just like how you could you be undone. more sad? How could you ba- be acting any harder? Act as hard as you can. And, yeah. it, and he does a great job. He tries to shoot himself over and over in the head with the empty gun. He just wants to die. He jumps out of the car. He's in the mist and he's like, eat me, giant monsters. I just want to die. Like, let's wrap this shit up. Yeah. And then military roll down with a bunch of tanks and are like, don't worry, sir. It was just a minor yeah. dimensional breach. We, we got it under you. control. Yeah. <laughs> in a few minutes, we'll have you and your son. Oh. And he's like, if you were in a cult, that's fine. Everything's normal now. <laughs> yeah. I love that we have to make everything as an episode from The Simpsons. <laughs> well, that's actually a catchphrase on one of my favorite podcasts. So I'll shout him out. The Teacher's Lounge which is a great podcast that has no point. It's just persistent long form improv. So now they're at season nine or whatever. And like so many things are true of them. It's impossible to keep track. You know what I mean? It's additive improv that never resets. The canon's too big. (laughs) The canon is too large. But one thing is they had a whole season where the theme of the season is like, I know we've done a bunch of crazy shit. El Chapo and OJ Simpson are established (laughs) to be like friends of ours and all this stuff. Uh, Howard died and is now in someone else's body. But all of that is not true. We're normal now. <laughs> oh, they just. But they it's just hurt. No, undid the improv game. game they were playing Red is Con. that all that stuff was clearly true. They were just claiming to be normal now, and it falls apart. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, because at a certain point you have to be like, ah, oh, we can't. We're not like normal. This. Who the fuck are we kidding? Like, every time we have a new guest on, we have to be like, ah, oh, you can't, you can't say that to him because he has who? Oh, yeah, every episode <laughs> you know? we establish nine new made up things about each other. Yeah. Uh, it's my favorite though. So uh, that took great. we took you to the emotional depths and then we had a little palate cleanser but uh that is the ending it is indeed grim it's the kind of ending i would put in a short story i was writing but i wouldn't think to try and sell as a screenplay so it is interesting <clears throat> that it made it the final line in the book is uh i'm going to bed now but first i'm going to kiss my son and whisper two words in his ear two words that sound a bit alike one of them hartford one of them hope and hartford is uh at it's Hartford, Connecticut. It's they get a like a radio signal earlier in a different scene where it says like people are congregating there. They're, we're gonna make a new life here. So the but then that since it's all done as his journal, it's kind of like um, well then the journal ends. So does that mean he went off and died, or does that mean that he got there and he just left the journal? We it's an open ended kind of positivity about it. And Stephen King was like, I fucking love this ending. Because uh, it terrifies me, and it's definitely takes a stand. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, well, in Stephen, uh, yeah. So in Stephen King's version, it's more heavily implied that the mist is everywhere. It's a global problem. So yeah. it's more of that ending, which is classic to a lot of sci-fi apocalypses, where oh, the apocalypse is real. It's really the apocalypse. But our heroes found an enclave or are on their way to an enclave, so they're just going to face the new world, and and who knows mm, what will happen. Mm. But at least they made it out of the the acute situation. Darabont was like, what if everything was fine everywhere else? And it was just their problem only. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's interesting that the more, the higher stakes one is less grim. Probably because it's higher stakes. Because life goes and on. And the smaller stakes sense. one is and a lot of us think, much more grim. Well, if I lived through the initial shockwave, the apocalypse mm-hmm. would be okay. I would adapt to a new right. experience. Yeah. And what's crazy is that it's an, an a, there's so much allegorical aspects of it. And itself, like just the concept is like basically feels like a cautionary tale. But I don't know what for. <laughs> like, mm. it's like, be very scared of everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I don't really know what the movie is trying to say to us other than um, wind, like, we are uh, mist, problematic. other people, the that military, nature is problematic, <laughs> other people are problematic. 
everything is fucked. The universe, and, uh, it's a miracle any of us survived the universe's right. machinations, yeah. And I kind of like that, you know, at least it it's not pulling its punches. I don't think it's something that I, you know, you then take as scripture and go like, therefore we should do this. No, it's more of like, no, yeah, that's a, that sums up what I know about nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a bunch of, you know, as you said, quoting Al Swearingen, like there's much more pain in store for you. As long as you're Uh, drawing breath, you got more pain to come or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. More pain. So yeah. Dish it out or whatever. Should we move into... Um, our final segment? The stand. The stand. It's time to make your stand. Which now seems badly timed because it's about a worldwide plague. I'm sorry. We enshrined it in our mm-hmm. podcast. Moving on. Mm-hmm. When I do the stand, I like to ask myself three questions. Was this movie good and recommendable to watch? Yes. Was it scary? Yes. Which I don't think I'll say yes to a lot. I uh, But I actually think this movie is pretty scary. And uh, slash upsetting. There's a blurry line between those two things. And uh, and then the last question is, because I don't like necessarily rating like out of 10 or out of five, but I do like rating things relatively. And I want to do this as an ongoing thing. So where does this stand relative to every other movie we've covered thus far? If you've been following along at home, you know, the only movie we've covered so far is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which is better than this. Yes, because I would say there are some stretches of this that feel boring or unearned Mm -hmm. and you're waiting for the next exciting thing to happen. Whereas The Shining Mm -hmm. is obviously one of the better movies of the last 50 to 100 years. So, uh, so far, my list goes The Shining and then The Mist and The Mist. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, my take or uh, the way I do this section in my head is a little different. I like to take my favorite thing about it. And then say what I like about that favorite thing, which is that I think the design of this movie is the best aspect of this movie. I think Hitchcock said that, uh, like fairly famously, I don't know because all my friends are filmmakers, so maybe people don't know. Hitchcock had always wanted to make a horror scene, uh, and there's an interview of him before he made Psycho talking about it. He loves... He wants to make a horror scene in the bathroom because it's where you're the most vulnerable. And so he talked about on the shower in the toilet, but because he can't shoot uh, on the toilet because it was 1950, uh, he decided to do the shower. And I think there's something in that uh, analogy uh, of a shower in vulnerability because in this movie, uh, the barrier being so thin and what we were talking about earlier about the thin veneer of glass is, the fact that it breaks and all everything then after that is motivated, motivated by fear is such a constructive commentary to make at this time. And at the time that this was made, that I think that this is a, I think it's a good movie just for that. They're like literally the most impactful decision might've been that let's set it in a grocery store where the front wall is glass. Yeah. So the, I think as of episode two, obviously, I think The Shining wins just because I think in terms of the themes and the execution, that is a more precise film. But uh, next to, I would probably say The Thing. Uh, this is one of the best bunker movies I've ever seen, mm. or at least one with the theme of like hell as other people. And the outside world and, is completely lava, so we mm-hmm. have to stay in here. Yeah. And so because it gets so densely into the psychology of paranoia uh, and how destructive we are. Um, it's a really effective film. It's probably going to stay high up on my list for most of this podcast. Yeah. Especially um, cause I think we might be covering Dreamcatcher next. I don't know if yeah. that'll beat either. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this one, I just want to be, uh, clear. This one suffers from some serious 2007, like smaller budget, big movie, uh, era, like VFX problems. Like Darabont mm. is in love they kinda in this up. movie. Well, the puddles of blood everywhere oh, seeping slowly yeah, on the yeah. ground is in the movie like eight times because they he obviously fell. I in mean, love. the creatures themselves are not glaringly bad to me. They're they not that bad. They pass. They pass. But yeah, I just want to keep the focus on how this movie does destructive nature, humans, uncertainty, risk, leading to hope and fear. It's just a role, great Rolodex of character archetypes. Reminds me of Synecdoche, New York in that way, which is also a very, very different movie, but a movie where the writer was trying mm-hmm. to Rolodex 
in real life, what do I actually think ruins everything? What is scary? Well, it's what is yeah, uh, yeah, getting yeah. sick if your kid hated you. It's like you get you end up with things that are way fresher than a boogeyman slits your throat. Uh, and Darabont did some mining here. He's what like, what about a loveless marriage? He's like, yeah. what about the fact that uh, nature could kill any of us at any time? Or uh, mm-hmm. in situations wrought with fear, people go crazy. What about that shit? What about that? What about that? Yeah, that and that's um I like that. I think this is a I think this is a solid movie. I think it's a cult one. I think it's <laughs> The uh, Mist is I a think solid we all, movie. I'd say go te- <laughs> go go check it out if you haven't and definitely give it another watch if you have. The year that's is my... 2007. The Mist is sitting at the top of the charts. <laughs> okay. And that's a podcast episode on our way out, the fuck out of I here. like to say uh, you know check us out at patreon.com slash small beans we're always doing new stuff yes, we're always trying to get new people on board to fund these endeavors so if mm-hmm. you've been a fan for a long time maybe share us with a friend or retweet or whatever you do yeah and if you don't have the scratch or friends uh, if you don't have the scratch just because you are uh, you know I we understand you're buying masks everyone's you're buying masks and eating toilet paper and all that stuff. Uh, you know, they just go to iTunes uh, and give us a give us a review on that on this. Tell us what you think. Uh, yeah. Giving us five star reviews helps more than most people Realize. think it does. That's true because it, it it affects the algorithm and who sees this. So if you want to do a single most, you know, kind of word of mouthy kind of thing, other than just going to Twitter and telling your friends about us. Uh, do that. Oh, yeah. Please. Otherwise, stay safe, stay indoors, wash your hands, avoid the mm-hmm. mist, and mm-hmm. other people. Good luck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.